Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. I think that it's safe to say, with all due respect to your grandmother, that this is not your grandmother's Jesus. Meek and mild. There's this meme, as they call it, going around on the internet that says, what would Jesus do when considering this question, WWJD? Just remember that one of the options is making a whip and overturning tables. <laughs> and notice that. Jesus doesn't just whip people. He makes the whip and whips things and is overturning the tables. You think, whoa, this is Jesus as we are not used to seeing him. This is a, an incensed, upset Jesus filled with righteous indignation. What's going on here? Well, it's not the case that the Lord has just blown his top, right? He has just absolutely burnt out from all the pressure of being the Messiah that he says, you know what, I just need to blow off some steam. I'm gonna go turn over some tables in the temple. That's not what's going on here. What is happening though? What we do have here is a pointed conviction from our Lord Jesus on the religious leaders of then and on us still today. See, when Jesus is overturning those tables, it's like he's overturning logs and seeing all of the ugly, squiggly things that are there in the hearts of men. But it's not just conviction either. It's also a profound confession here of who he is, what he has come to do. And it's even underscored by what to me is a breathtaking historical detail, which we'll return to in due course. But let's just set the scene a little bit. We're told that this is the Passover. And the Passover, as you know, is a big deal for the people of God in that time. It was one of three festivals that all Jews were called to return on pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. So it was kind of like a big homecoming party in addition to this religious festival. It was sort of like Arcadia days, okay? And unfortunately, by Jesus' day, not a whole lot more pious either. This is what they were all, all the throngs of people were coming to Jerusalem there in accordance with the teachings of God. And when you got there, when you got to the temple, here, picture the temple. It had these three different parts. You had the Holy of Holies, the innermost sanct, uh, sanctuary. Then you had the holy place. And then you had the outer part of the temple, the biggest part, which was called the outer courts or the court of the Gentiles. That's where we find Jesus in today's gospel. There, as all of the, the crowds are milling about, you've got two main players that the Lord is upset with. You've got the sacrifice sellers the people who are selling the oxen and the lamb and the pigeons. And then you've got the money changers. And why do you need money changers? It's because you've got pilgrims coming from all different places. It's sort of like at the border, you've got the currency exchange, right? They had to exchange their money from wherever they were coming from in order that they were able to have the currency that they needed in order to purchase those sacrifices there in the temple courts. And you might wonder, why would they be doing this? Why there? Why in this way? Well, I was thinking about this. It's sort of like, uh, you know, family and I, we took a trip up to Mackinac Island a couple of months ago. Wonderful place. Many of you have been to Mackinac Island. And the big thing with Mackinac Island is, of course, you can't drive anywhere, right? And so you need to either use your feet or you need to use a bike. And, you know, schlepping your bikes all the way up there and getting them onto the ferry and everything, it's a huge pain, isn't it? That's why they have the people there who are ready to rent bikes to you for, you know, at the same cost that you could probably buy a very nice bike. But that's the way it is, because now you don't have to carry your bike and have all of that inconvenience. You've got it right there. Something similar is going on here. 
where if you're going to bring your sacrifice, are you going to schlep your dead oxen all the way to Jerusalem from who knows where? Ah, what a pain. It's way more convenient if you can just buy one. Better yet, if it's right there in the temple courts, then you've only got to move it a few feet. It's right there, ready-made. It's a, you know, a one-stop shop for your sacrifice needs. You can just imagine the banners over each of these little stands, and they're, they're peddling. This is what we have going on here. At the end of the day, it's a matter of convenience. And this is where Jesus' rub with the people is. Because, see, for the sake of convenience, they are making sacrifices. Pardon the pun. They are making sacrifices when it comes to honoring God, to worshiping Him right. In the back of their minds, do they know that they probably shouldn't be there in the temple courts, making the Father's house a house of trade? Probably. But you know what? It's a lot easier when we do it this way, and surely God is going to forgive us in spite of the fact that we are dishonoring Him here. Jesus has no time and no patience for it. And so it is that he's making that whip of cords and overturning tables because they have exchanged the worship of God for the cult of convenience. When we put it that way, shucks, we start to realize how this story has a lot to say to us still today. I mean, the cult of convenience has hit a fever pitch in 21st century America. The cult of convenience in which we look and try to find ways in order to make life easier, simpler, more convenient. And don't get me wrong, I'm part of this too, and I get it. I mean, nobody's out there saying, hey, can we find ways to make life less convenient, more inconvenient on a daily basis? Can we make things to be harder, less simple? No, of course not. We all want life to be more convenient. But do we make sacrifices with that? You better believe it. I mean, even just at a general kind of cultural level, you think of all of our tech gadgets, whether it be our Alexas, our smart speakers, our smart TVs, or maybe some of you have one of these, your Roomba, okay? Your little motorized vacuum that goes around the house. And having one in my house, I can assure you that it ends, to be, ends up being as much of an inconvenience as a convenience. As every few minutes, beep, 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 beep. You gotta pull a sock out of the thing, you know? But we are so used to everything bringing more convenience to us that we are looking for in everything. We want things to be simpler, to be easier. And as I say, there's some benefits to that. But there's also sacrifices to be made. And I think it's one thing, just in our general lives, to have that. But think about the danger that can be there when we kind of transpose that to our lives of faith. Because it's not so easy for us to just kind of bracket these things out and say, well, you know, just in a general day-to-day -day life, if I want to have my Roomba, you know, that's fine. But when it comes to my life of faith, there, there, I'm not going to be interested in convenience. There, I'm going, to, I'm going to take the harder path, whatever it takes, in order to follow my Lord. We might have that mind, but we are so cultivated and enculturated in a way of being, in a mindset where we're constantly looking for convenience, where God suddenly becomes a God on demand. Yeah, yeah, you can, and you can stream your relationship to God whenever it works for you, see. Or you come across something in the scriptures, and this just, it doesn't fit with your way of life or what you really want to hear from the Lord right now. Well, this is why highlighters were invented, okay? You pick out the ones that work better for you, and you leave aside the ones that don't. I hope you can tell my tongue is firmly in cheek at this point. The cult of convenience bleeds over even into our lives of faith still today. You better believe it. 
And we need to be on the lookout for it, to be vigilant about it, because we are constantly being tempted to make those sacrifices to that cult and violating the very first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. That includes ease of life. It's not the worship that God has called you and me to. And so the question that I think Jesus' action here forces us to answer is to say, what sacrifices have I made in my life for the sake of convenience? Where am I trying to make things a little bit easier for me? But maybe that's not what the Lord has called me to. What tables does he need to overturn in my heart? But there's not just law here. There is some profound grace in what Jesus is up to. He doesn't overturn those tables simply for the sake of pointing out the failures of God's people then or now, but also, and even more so, to point toward the better hope that God has for us. And so the Jews at that time, when they see Jesus doing these things, of course their reaction is to say, whoa, not so fast. Tell us, by what sign do you, what sign do, you do in order to, to establish your authority that you could be doing such things? And Jesus says to them words that they would echo at the time of his trial to convict him as being guilty of, to be guilty of murder. They say, oh, he says, destroy this temple and in three days I will build it up. And they're being very practical and they say, well, wait a second, it took us 46 years for this renovation project. You're going to do it in three days? But Jesus, Jesus was talking about the temple of his body. And in fact, in John's gospel, John has been priming us for this uh, realization already from the beginning. He says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But literally what that says is the word became flesh and tabernacled among us, templed among us. That Jesus, as the word made flesh, he has come now as as this new and living temple. And John goes on to say, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Paul writes in the letter to the Colossians that in Christ Jesus, we have all received and seen the fullness of the Godhead dwelled bodily. Because remember what the significance of the temple was for the people of that day. Principally, two things. First of all, the temple was the place of sacrifice. And the temple was, secondly, the place where they met with God. Jesus is that new and greater temple. He is the new and greater place of sacrifice, and he is the one in whom the fullness of God dwells bodily. He is the one where we meet with God, and he is the one who has come in order that his people might have life and have it to the full. This is who he is, and this is why he has come, and this is what all of the people then and now continue to miss. And as I alluded to before, There is this historical detail from that day that underscores this message of our Lord, which to me is just breathtaking. We learn this from the historian Josephus. Josephus was a Jewish historian around the time of our Lord Jesus. And the question is, what was it? So I described to you the temple, what it looked like. You had the outer courts, you had the holy place, you had the holy of holies. What was it in Jesus' day that was in the Holy of Holies. Now, you may know that originally, when God had them build the tabernacle and then the temple, in the Holy of Holies was the Ark of the Covenant. 
And on the top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. This was the locus. This was the axis mundi. This was the, the center point and the hinge of the world where forgiveness, where atonement would take place, where the high priest would go once a year, and there he would sprinkle the blood for the atonement of all of God's people. This was the epicenter of all of that relationship between God and man. But by Jesus' day, in the Holy of Holies, what would you find? Nothing. Just an empty room. The Ark of the Covenant had long since been lost to history, but they just kept on going with that empty space at the very heart of their relationship with God. And you see how God was priming them for those with eyes to see that this is but a shadow that that temple was but a shadow and the substance was now realized in Christ. That all of those sacrifices were but a shadow, a foreshadowing, an anticipation of the substance now realized in Christ Jesus, who is the Lamb of God. All of those pigeons, all of those lambs, all of those oxen are for naught because Christ is the once for all sacrifice. He is the new and greater temple. He is the one that you ought to look to. He leads us out of those empty temples and into the new and greater temple of God tabernacling with man. This is the one to look to. This is the one in whom is all our hope. This is the greater thing that God has for his people then and now. And so what does it mean for us? Well, it means, first of all, that Jesus, as the Lamb of God, with his once-for-all sacrifice, he continues to avail for your fickle faith and mine. He continues to, to forgive us in spite of the ways that we turn to these false gods, these weak and worthless idols like ease and convenience. We keep on going back to that. Scripture says like a dog to its vomit. But still, Christ in his patience forgives you and me. But also this. He is calling us. He is calling us as the people of God who are now his temple, who have been filled with the Holy Spirit, who have been made the holy sanctuary of God. He is calling you and me out of those empty temples into the fullness of life with him. It's a continual call to repentance and to conversion and to faith in Christ that now as the temple of God to leave those empty temples from the cult of convenience to uh, abandon the emptiness of bearing grudges into the fullness of forgiveness, the emptiness of self-service into the fullness of other service, the emptiness of an open-ended life into the fullness of deep commitments to Christ and to one another, the emptiness of happiness as our world de defines it, to the fullness of joy in our Lord. This is what Jesus is calling us to as he is the new and greater temple to forsake those empty ways and to find the fullness in him. And is it inconvenient? You better believe it. But look, our Lord is Christ Jesus who did not take the easy part, but who purposely went the inconvenient way, the way of sorrows for the sake of you and me. He's the one in whose footsteps we follow. He's the one that we belong to. Oftentimes, friends, if we are going to live as his disciples, yeah, it's going to be hard and it's not going to be convenient. But when we turn away from those empty temples, we turn toward our Lord Jesus, 
we find the fullness of life in Him. As one poet once put it, there, there was the two roads before me, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. Let's continue to walk the way less traveled, the inconvenient way of our Lord Jesus, in which is the fullness of life. Amen. May the peace of God that surpasses all understanding keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We stand for prayer.